Good morning and welcome again. We're grateful for your presence. We appreciate Jared leading our singing today. Billy is out sick and hopefully and prayerfully he will be well very soon. We appreciate Jared and his willingness to step in at the last moment and uh, also glad to have his parents with us. We're always glad to see Jared's mom and dad and we appreciate them so very much. We're glad that you're here today and if you're visiting we want you to know that we appreciate your willingness to come and be with us today. It might be the case that you're looking for a church home. As always, we invite you to consider the work here. We'd love to have you come and join hands with us as we do everything we can to lift high the name of Christ in this community. We're going to be looking at the passage that Tanner read a moment ago, Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. In this context, Jesus is addressing the church at Laodicea. The church at Laodicea had a real problem. They were lukewarm. And in his assessment of this church, there's an amazing passage of scripture. And what I want us to do for our study today is to zero in on what the Lord said in verse 20, because I, I think that there is a tremendous lesson for us. Listen, if you would, to what Jesus said. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. The Lord Jesus Christ is pictured as knocking at the door. Sometimes we open the door. Sometimes we do not. And it might be helpful to ask the question, why won't you open the door? You see, it might just be the case that the Lord has been knocking and for whatever reason, you have failed to open the door. I want to begin today by talking about the visitor behind the door. Again, Jesus said, I stand at the door and knock. What about the identity of the one behind the door, the visitor? We know, based on the context, that it's Jesus. The Bible talks about the identity of Jesus and gives us insight into his character, his nature. For example, he is identified as the Son. He is, as you well know, the Son of God. You remember the Apostle Peter when responding to the Lord's question, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they offered a variety of answers. They said, some say you're John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But he wanted to know what they thought. And so Peter said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. The one behind the door is the son of God. He is also pictured as the son of man, underscoring his messianic nature and I think also his human nature. There's a divine side and a human side to Jesus. 
For example, in Matthew chapter 20, verse 28, Jesus said, The Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life as a ransom for the many. So he is identified as the Son, but also he is identified as the Savior. In Acts chapter 3, verse 15, the Apostle Peter, in the second recorded gospel sermon, said, speaking of Jesus, that he is the Prince of Life. And I think really what he is saying is that it is only through Jesus that we are afforded any kind of life. Not only is Jesus the Prince of Life, but he is the Prince of Peace, Isaiah chapter 9 at verse 6. You see, life comes through Jesus and peace as well. It's only through Jesus that we have peace with God, according to to Paul in Romans chapter 5, verse 1. It's only through Jesus that we have the peace that passes all understanding, according to Paul in Philippians chapter 4. So he is identified as the Son and the Savior. And I might add this. When we think about Jesus Christ, the visitor behind this door. We need to understand that this is the one who came, lived, and died for all of us. And I think that's reflected in the fact that he is pictured as the shepherd. You see, as the shepherd, what we ought to understand is that in Jesus... There are provisions for life. Did you know that every single spiritual blessing resides in Christ Jesus? In Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3, Paul said that all spiritual blessings reside in Christ Jesus. Every single thing that you need is found in Jesus. Everything. And then... Not only are there provisions for life, but I think we ought to understand that in Jesus, there is his presence for life. It's hard to imagine how some people go through life without the Lord at their side. And yet there are many people that choose to keep him on the outside of their lives. I would freely grant that the Lord is knocking And for whatever reason, they choose not to open the door. And there are a lot of folks that go through a lot, a lot of difficulties in this life. They face a siege of problems, and yet they do so in many respects all alone. And yet, in Jesus, we have his presence. The Hebrew writer said in Hebrews chapter 13, I will never leave you nor forsake you. In Philippians chapter 4 and about verse 5, Paul would say, the Lord is at hand. In other words, the Lord is by our side. We need to remember that. So we think about the visitor behind the door. But then in the second place, what about the voice behind the door? Listen again to what 
John records. Jesus here, of course, is speaking. He said, if anyone hears my voice, we need to hear the voice of Jesus. We need to hear everything that he has to say. We would do well to learn of his will. And somebody might, somebody might ask the question, well, why do we need to know his will? Well, number one, because Jesus has all authority. You see, when he speaks, we need to listen. In Matthew 28, verse 18, Jesus said, All authority, all power has been given to me in heaven and on earth. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 17, Paul would say that whatever we do, in word or in deed, we are to do in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, we're to do it by his authority. And then I would remind you of what God the Father said when Jesus was transfigured on the mountaintop. In Matthew chapter 17, in verse 5, Matthew said, A voice came forth from heaven, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. And then he said, Hear him. We need to hear him. Because he is the one who has all authority. And then we need to hear him. We need to, to learn about his will because of his administration. And by that I mean Jesus is pictured in the New Testament as a king. Now you can't be a king without a kingdom. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world in John 18, 36. Jesus is the king of kings and lord of lords according to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 15. He is the king over his kingdom. And so we talk about this spiritual institution that he presides over. He is identified as the head of that body, the head of that institution. And one of the reasons we need to listen to him is because as the head over that body, the king over that kingdom, he's only promised to save those who are a part of that body or institution or kingdom. In Ephesians 5.23, Paul said he is the savior of the body. Now somebody might ask the question, well, what's the body? Colossians 1.18, he's the head of the body of the church. And so we would do well to learn about his will. But then also, we need to learn about his way. I want you to note that the term used here is way in the singular, not plural. Because when it comes to Jesus, there's just one way. He is the only way. Do you remember what he said in John chapter 14, verse 6? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Do you remember what Luke recorded in Acts chapter 4, verse 12? Neither is there salvation in any other. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. To understand that the way of Christ, the way of Jesus, is the straight and narrow way. Just one way. It's his way. You hear people sometimes talk about how they're going to live life as they see fit. Sometimes people will say, you know what, I want to be the captain of my ship. Remember the old song made famous many, many years ago, I did it my way? That's how some people choose to live. They're going to do it their way. It's their way or the highway. Well, when you look at the scriptures, 
What Jesus is saying is the broad road, that wide gate, it leads to destruction. But rather that straight and narrow gate ultimately leads to life. So we have to, we have to be willing to listen, to learn His will. And by the way, it's our choice. For example, in John 7, verse 17, Jesus said, If any man wills to do my will, you have to have the will, the desire, the intent to do his will. I can't force you to do it. You can't be coerced into doing his will. Or it may be the case that you will obey the gospel or you will follow the Lord because you feel like you're being pressured by a family member or a friend. That's not the right, that's not the right reason to follow the Lord. We follow him because we choose to do so. We want to be a servant of his. In ancient times, during the days of the Roman Empire, there were literally thousands upon thousands of people that had been enslaved. And they were in slavery because they were compelled to be, to be slaves. But spiritually speaking, when we talk about being a servant of Christ, a slave of Christ, we do so of our own free will. We choose to follow the Lord. So, what about that voice behind the door? There's a third thing I want you to see in our study, and that is the victory that is open to all who open the door. Listen now again to what Jesus said. Behold, I stand, I stand at the door and knock. He said, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him and he with me. And the idea here is that Jesus is knocking on the door. And the picture, the door is opened. Did you know that there are three in eight needs of every person? There are three things that each and every one of us, we need. Now, it may be the case that we don't understand we need them, but we need them. And by opening the door, these blessings are derived. Now, you just think about Jesus. Here he is knocking at the door. A lot of folks, to use terminology today, would say, go away. I'm not interested. I'm not buying what you're selling. But you see, Jesus keeps knocking. And to those who open the door, here's what they can expect. Number one, forgiveness. Now we talk about three basic fundamental needs that every single one of us has to have. Number one, forgiveness. We need forgiveness from an almighty God. And why is that? Because of sin. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Whether you realize it or not, you're a sinner. We're all sinners. And the Bible says the wages of sin is death. That means unless, unless we invite Jesus in, we're going to live in sin. 
And Jesus said, if you die in your sins where I am, there you cannot come, John 8, verse 21. So how do you obtain forgiveness through Christ? Well, you do what they did on Pentecost Day. You remember the, uh, the apostle Peter preached a great sermon. And the Bible says that those who were assembled on that occasion were pricked in their hearts. And they cried out unto Peter and the rest of the apostles and said, what shall we do? And Peter said, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. In other words, when we obey the gospel, coming to the Lord, believing that he is the son of God, repenting of our sins, confessing his name, and then are immersed in a watery grave of baptism. Our sins are remitted, they're removed, they're washed away, as Paul would say in Acts 22, verse 16. And here's the blessing. Here's the beauty of it. Whatever you did in the past, whatever you've said, wherever you've been, whatever lifestyle you've been caught up in, God will forgive. Listen to the words of the Hebrew writer in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 12. I will be merciful to their unrighteousness. And their sins and their iniquities I will remember no more. Are there things hanging over your head today? And every night when you go to bed, you feel guilty. And you think about it. And you get up the next morning and you're thinking about it. You go to bed the next night and you're thinking about it. You get up the next day, you're thinking about it. It's called guilt. And it will eat away at you. It leads you up. Now, the remedy for guilt... It's the blood of Christ. Why do we need the blood of Christ? Because that's what washes away our sins. And the only way to contact the blood of Christ is to be baptized into Christ. When we're baptized into Christ, our sins are washed away. We enjoy the blessings of forgiveness. There is a cleansing that takes place. I don't know about you, but I think about some of the things that people have done in their lives. I think about some of the things that I've done in my life. I'm not proud of some of the things I've done. I'm not proud of some of the places I've been. But I know this, there's a gracious God in heaven who will forgive. There's a gracious God in heaven who will forget. In other words, he will never again bring those things up. Why? Because I've been forgiven and you can be forgiven. You don't need to leave here today without the cleansing power of the blood of Christ availing in your life. So number one, you need forgiveness. There's a second thing that every one of us needs. It is a basic fundamental need. It's called fellowship. Listen, if you would, again to what Jesus said. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him and he with me. That's fellowship. There are two realms of fellowship. First, there is vertical fellowship. John talks about how we have fellowship with God the Father and Jesus Christ the Son in 1 John chapter 1, verse 3. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9, Paul said we have been called into the fellowship of God's dear Son. That means I have fellowship with deity. I have communion with the gracious God of heaven. A lot of blessings enjoyed by having fellowship with the Lord. To know that as long as I'm walking in the light, as he is in the light, I have the cleansing power of the blood of Christ availing in my life. And that cleansing blood 
makes it possible for me to enjoy a continuous relationship with the God of heaven. And to know that when I stumble and fall, there is an advocate who is more than willing to plead my case before the bar of heaven. You remember what John said in 1 John chapter 2? He said, if anyone sins, if any man sins, let him know we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Here is the Lord Jesus Christ, and he is pleading my case. And because of his cleansing blood, I maintain constant, continual fellowship. I need that fellowship. I think about the privilege that I have to bow my head in prayer to God and to understand that God hears my prayers. Peter said the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous. His ears are open under their prayers. Let me tell you what, if you're a child of God, you have fellowship with God and you have the blessed, you have the blessed privilege of praying to an almighty God who will hear your prayers and, and respond according to his will. A lot of power, powerful people in this world it may be the case that you have access to some people that are very powerful and prominent. Maybe not just in this community, but on a statewide level. Maybe even a national level. Well, let me tell you what. If you're a child of God, you have the power of prayer and the privilege of prayer availing in your life. So we talk about vertical fellowship and then there is horizontal fellowship. Do you remember what Luke recorded in Acts 2, verse 42, how they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship? To know that we are people of like precious faith, as Peter would say in 2 Peter 1, 1. That we have fellowship with one another. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. Let me tell you, there's a lot to be said about having fellowship with the people of God. When you're hurting, the body hurts. When you're happy, the body is happy. To know that we can join together, we can build one another up, we can encourage one another, we can, as Paul said, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. That's fellowship. It's a great privilege. And then there's a third basic fundamental need, and that is a future. Tell me one person that you know that doesn't want the confidence of a future. When you're young and ambitious, you're thinking about the future. You're thinking about going to college, getting a degree, entering into a profession, building a family, etc. You're looking for a future. Well, there's more to life than just getting a job. There's more to life than just having a family. Look, those are important things. The future I'm talking about is where will you be after you die? That's the kind of future we need to really think about. Where will you be in eternity? Let's just say 100 years from now. Where do you plan to be? You're going to be here. Now, there might be a, an infant. There might be a young person here, a really young person that might live to exceed 100 years of age. But the odds of that are slim and none. Where will you be in 100 years? I want you to think about this. The Lord's knocking. 
And he'll continue to knock. And the question is, will you open the door and enjoy what the Bible talks about as a glorious future? Now you can, you, you can keep him on the outside. You can say no. You can say go away. The Lord wants to come in. I want to ask you today, why won't you open the door? Let, let's just say that you're not a Christian. You've never obeyed the gospel. Why? Why would you keep the Lord on the outside of your life? It's your choice. If that's what you want to do, you can do it. But let me tell you what, if you do that, if that's your choice, you don't have forgiveness you don't have fellowship, and you sure enough don't have a future. That may not mean a lot to you right now, but there's coming a day when it will mean something to you. There's coming a day when you will wish you had opened the door, invited the Lord in. Because you see, one day the Lord's going to say to those who keep him on the outside, listen to him very, very carefully, depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Oh, there's a hell. And according to Jesus, the majority of people, that's where they're headed. They're going to hell. Now, it's not that the Lord wants that. Because he said, hell is prepared for the devil and his angels. If you choose to go to hell, you need to understand, it's your choice. I can't make you decide to follow the Lord. But a hundred years from now, if you left the Lord on the outside of your life, you'll have an eternity to ask the haunting, searing, sobering question, why? Why did I do that? What was I thinking or not thinking? Now, if you're not a Christian, here's what you need to do. You need to do what they did on Pentecost. Repent, be baptized for the forgiveness, the remission of your sins. When you do that, God will add you to the church. And you will enjoy the quality of life defined as eternal. First, First Timothy, or rather Titus chapter 1 at verse 2. And so, the choice is yours. Now maybe you're here and you're a Christian. But you, as Peter said, have forsaken the right way. Won't you come home? The Lord's knocking question is, will you open the door? Listen, if you would, to James. Confess your sins. Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another. Could we pray with you and for you as we stand and sing?